0: You yeah, know, I kind of feel for that guy a little bit. <laughs> you know, I think a number of us understand kind of how that goes, right? But the reality is, fixing the issues or the problems in the lives of our loved ones is never as easy as just pulling a nail from their forehead. It's not that simple. And as our scripture suggests this morning, helping others out always begins with first tending to our own issues. As the great John Wesley said, we need to be rigorous in judging ourselves, but incredibly gracious in judging others. Our scripture this morning comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found, the entirety of which is in Matthew 5 through 7. It's a great sermon. Go home. I encourage you at some point and read it this week if you have time. As Jesus ascends the mountain in Matthew chapter 5, he is doing so in order to preach the most important sermon that has ever been preached. And he gives his teaching on the mountain in a way, reenacting the original teaching, the law, the Torah, that is given to Moses on a mountain, Mount Sinai. Jesus gathers his disciples together to provide them with the fundamental instructions on what it looks like to follow him. This is how God has always intended us to live. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, is giving his teaching. The themes that we find in our text this morning are woven throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You are the salt of the earth. Be reconciled to your brother or sister. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you forgive others, so your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. And all of this is moving to the climax of chapter 7. Do not judge. You see the speck in your neighbor's eye. Meanwhile, you have a log hanging out of your face. (laughs) The teaching we receive from Christ is relational teaching. It is of great concern of God how we treat each other. Our faith is never just between us and God. God wants us to treat each other well. He wants us to treat our family members well. He cares a great deal about that. He cares about how we treat our coworkers, our friends, our enemies. How we treat each other at church. Do not judge. So that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Broadly speaking, to judge simply means to just form an opinion. To weigh or discern. But when Jesus talks about judgment here, he means a lot more than that. And when Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged, he doesn't mean that if you are not a judgmental person, somehow you're going to escape the judgment of God. Nobody escapes the divine judgment in the end. The gospel of Matthew is clear on this. Matthew 25, when the son of man comes, he shall separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. The rest of the New Testament is clear on this. There will be judgment absolutely just not by us. When Jesus talks about judgment here, he doesn't mean just to merely form an opinion. He means to condemn, to be critical of, to express disapproval. In other words, condemn others, And you will be condemned. Judgment belongs only in the perfect hands of God. And we are not God. Amen. This is God's world, God's reality. And our role, our calling, our purpose is to live as the creator intended us to live. Hope, salt, light, love, justice, forgiveness, humility. Judge not, or you will be judged. Americans like to think that we are non-judgmental. This is actually a value of pop culture, if you think about it. I mean, we've all heard people say, who am I to judge? Or, don't judge a book by its cover. Or live and let live. Don't impose your thinking on me. Of course, Americans like to pride themselves in being tolerant and not judgmental. But if you turn on the news, go visit Facebook or Twitter, go walk around your lunchroom at school, there's plenty of judgment going around. Usually towards those who look differently, toward those who think differently, or toward those who vote differently. And not just in culture, but in the church. In some ways, I think we're seeing the church restart up the culture wars of the 80s and 90s where we like to be the morality police. We feel called to judge. Don't we? But what did Jesus say? Take the log out of your own eye. Well, church, we have some logs to take out of our eyes collectively and also individually. Judgment is expressing our disapproval. And we like to do this. I, to my shame, like to do this. Makes us feel good about ourselves. As we momentarily forget about our own shortcomings. If that person over there is doing so bad, then I must be doing pretty good right about now. God's clearly got to be more pleased with me. Research professor and author Brene Brown says that we are hard on each other because we are using each other as launching pads out of our own deficiency. When we tear each other down, and usually not to someone's face, right? Behind a computer screen, maybe in the comfort of our own home at the end of the day, toward our spouse, maybe what's going on in our head. When we tear tear each other down, the truth is we're actually harming ourselves as we give in to gossip or pride or arrogance or hate or division or judgment. We're damaging our own souls. And we move further from God. We move further from being people of hope in a world that desperately needs people who love and are hopeful. Pride and self-righteousness are nasty sins because they deceive us. We give in to a lie, and more often than not, we don't even realize that we're doing it. The Pharisees were proud. The Pharisees were self-righteous. And what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? You are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Clean out what's going on on the inside. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. When I judge, I become blind to my own evil and I become blind to the grace that God has granted to the other person. Why do you try to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye and don't even notice the log in your own eye? Friends, do you see that it is self-righteousness, arrogance, and pride? That is the log. The need to fix others. The need to condemn others comes always from a place of superiority. That is a place far from Christ. Judgment begins by assuming that we are better, by assuming that we are always right. But remember, what does God say? God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I have found that Christians... I count myself as, as one of this. Is we love to fix people. We love to solve people's problems. It's a form of judging, isn't it? You need to be fixed. We love giving advice. We love lecturing people on morality and ethics. But when we do so, we are making some serious assumptions about ourselves and about the other person. My wife Sarah and I were a part of a small group for a number of years. It's a group of about five couples. And every once in a while, if my wife Sarah wasn't doing very well, uh, she would open up and share to to this small group. And that's kind of hard for my wife because she's a bit of an introvert. So it takes a lot for her to, to be willing to be vulnerable with people. But every once in a while, she would do this. She would feel called like God wants her to, to share. And every time she did this, without fail, there was a guy in our small group that would start to lecture her. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do. You gotta tr- have you tried this? Have you tried that? And the truth is, he was trying to fix her every time. He was uncomfortable with her vulnerability, with her willing to be broken amongst Christian brothers and sisters. So after a while, she just stopped sharing. (laughs) She just wanted them to know. She wanted them to bear it with her and to pray for her. We do not fix people. God fixes people. We just point them to the builder, the fixer. The healer, that's what we do. So the question becomes, what are we supposed to do when we see someone who is struggling? Do we live in our own isolated bubbles, never saying anything to anyone, no matter how destructive someone's life becomes? That's not what Jesus is saying here leaving each other completely alone to our own devices, as easy as that may be sometimes, well, that betrays Christian love. It betrays Christian community. Growth requires accountability and encouragement. Jesus even says in Matthew 18, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when the two of you are alone. that doesn't work, you take two or three witnesses with you. If that doesn't work, then it becomes an issue for the church to deal with. Sometimes love takes confrontation, but it is done so not in a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of humility and love. Paul says in Galatians 6 that if someone has transgressed, you are to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. First, take the log out of your own eye. Humble yourself. You confess your own sin, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. It was Henry Nouwen who said that only wounded healers have the right to heal. Those who have done that work of healing and growth, who have taken the logs out of their eyes, those who can say, these are the pitfalls that I fell into, you don't want to fall into these pitfalls. We must always see our own shortcomings as the log. That which is Bigger, and that which must be dealt with first. Implicit in this teaching is that we are to take great care with gentleness and humility anytime we try and attempt to help out our brothers and sisters. And actually, friends, the only people we're ever called to help out or, or to correct in this kind of way are those inside the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, For what have I to do with judging those outside the church? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside the church. We're not even supposed to be judging people outside the church. We're not supposed to go there. And when Paul talks about judging people inside the church, he means to hold one another accountable in humility, grace, and truth with those that we have committed together in a mutual bond to follow Jesus Christ with one another. Those are the people that we hold accountable and we do it from a place of humility. And remember, friends, if you take the log out of your eye today, that doesn't mean that you don't have to take the log out of your eye tomorrow. That's the tricky thing about logs, is they have a way of finding their way back to blur our vision. So as Dale Bruner says, we have to spend a lifetime, a lifetime taking logs out of our eyes. What could it look like for the church, for this church, for all of us, you and me, to leave judgment behind? If you were to research the statistics on why young people are leaving the church... Whatever list you come across, without fail, you will find two common occurrences on every single list. Young people are leading the church because the church is hypocritical and the church is judgmental. The two things that Jesus tells us not to be the most again and again and again in Scripture, those are the things that are characterizing the church today. That's a problem. Can we be different? Can it be different? And what would it look like? In his book, A House United, Alan Hilton describes an initiative that was taken by the pastor Eric Elms in 2005. It was called Crosswalk America. Well, Crosswalk America was a program where Pastor Eric and members from his UCC church were going to walk across the country from the West Coast all the way to Washington, D.C. in order to bring visibility to progressive Christianity. He wanted other folks to know that there was was a liberal version of the church. He thought that he would help the country understand that there was It wasn't just the conservatives. Well, along this journey, Pastor Eric and others, they would visit various liberal churches that shared their same ideology. And they would stay with these churches and they would worship together and they all get together and they would talk the same things and think the same things. Well, one day, Pastor Eric feels called to make a change in the itinerary. And instead of visiting a church that thinks exactly like them, They would find the most conservative, fundamentalist church that they could possibly find. And so he called up this pastor, a very conservative church, and he asked if he could visit the next morning with his Crosswalk America group. And he warned the conservative pastor, I have a, a liberal and progressive agenda And I'm going to have a film crew that's with me and they're going to be documenting this entire trip. And to Eric's surprise, the conservative pastor says, sure, come on over. Well, most of the liberal Christians from Eric's group stayed away that morning. They were afraid about how they were going to be received at this church. They expected hostility from these other Christians and so only Eric and one other person from the group went to worship. And when they arrived at the church, the conservative pastor was there waiting for them. And he, he's standing in front of the church and he welcomes them in by the front door. And at the beginning of the worship service, the pastor introduces Eric and the Crosswalk America movement. And he says to his church, these people are walking across America for Jesus. And then he actually invites Eric to come up and share about his initiative and his movement. And then Eric gets up and he, he musters the courage to stand in front of all of these conservatives. And, and he starts talking about his liberal faith and his liberal agenda. We're walking across the country for Jesus. We're also walking across the country for, for gay marriage. And we're walking across the country for the environment. We're walking across the country for social justice. And he goes on through this long list of his progressive faith and what they stand for. And when he finishes, it's just awkward silence. But no curse words are said, no vegetables are thrown. And during worship, the pastor actually asks the congregation to lock hands and and encircle Eric and his other team member, and they're going to sing the worship song, Shine Jesus Shine, around them. And the pastor mentions Crosswalk America in a positive way several times in his sermon. And at the end of the service, he says, we should take our offering this morning and donate it to Crosswalk America. After the service... They all get together and they share a meal, potluck style. Eric goes on the record layer and he says, it was like magic. Instead of rejecting us, they embraced us because they saw us walking across the country for Jesus. I can't help but think about the Christians from his group that decided not to go. They made judgments about the conservative church and how they were going to respond. Well, surely they're going to be hostile, but they missed out on something beautiful. As these two groups of Christians who both believe in Jesus worship together and share the mission of let's show the world Jesus, how often we make judgments and we assume the worst about each other. Can it be different? Let us show the world every chance we can, glimpses of God's grace, and let us leave all judgment and condemnation behind in the name of of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite our servers to come forward and have a seat as we serve communion.